Grateful that we've encountered your son Jesus and that's changed everything for us. And so, Father, we gather here to worship you in spirit and in truth, with our words and with our hearts. And so our prayer is simply have your way. Not our way, God, but your will be done. And so, Father, we we offer this service to you. We trust that your word will go forward in power. And so, again, God, just... Allow us to follow your promptings and your leading in our lives. We love you. We worship you. We praise your name. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your provision in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, by way of announcements, it seems that uh, both Bill Hall and Rick Valls, it's their, both their 40th birthday today, which is, which is kind of funny how that works, you know? <laughs> But uh, so we want to wish them a happy birthday. God bless you, brothers. We love you. And absolutely, how about uh, I'd sing, but you you don't want to hear me sing. uh. And so uh, we're we're, uh, seriously, God bless you, brother. We love you guys. And uh, and so I I want to take a moment to share with you uh, some news. Um, I know that we've sent out an email, and you'll you'll be hearing more about this. But the past week or so has been uh, very, very hectic in a good way, a lot of activity, and I wish I, I really do, I wish I had a chance to call each of you personally or even visit to talk with you, um, but time and COVID have limited me, um, and so I'm taking this time to fill you in on what God's doing this past week. Um, but, but I want to read Ephesians 3.20, and we've, we've, you know, that's kind of been a scripture around here that we, that we repeat, that you hear a lot. And it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. Above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. And so some of you know Pastor Ken Bongiorno of Christian Fellowship Center in New Bedford. He's a good friend of mine, and we've we've prayed and we've talked and we've encouraged each other. We have partners in ministry. We minister to a lot of the same people, the same families. He's preached over here and Pastor Jamie and I have preached over there many times. And he knows our, our journey. He knows particularly the challenges we face with COVID and, and how limited we are. I think, you know, we've, we've outgrown this space well before COVID and with now with even more restrictions, we're down to 20 or 25 people, and it's just been a challenge. And it's been a challenge for all of you who are trying to navigate the difficult times and, and unable to gather as often as we'd like. So I had just shared with him my heart and asked him to pray as we, you know, explore with a building committee, you know, potential meeting locations, and that was really that. And on his, in his journey and his heart, the Lord had, had been doing some things with him, and he began to pray and he really had a burden, and, and his heart was, you know, we have this big space, and maybe there's some kind of way we can, 
you know, let them use the space. You know, we can alternate the services and all that. And then as he began to pray more, he thought, what if there's a way we could sort of collaborate and come together? And so he shared, he shared with me his journey and where he is and where the church is. And he said to me that there's been such an alignment with a clarity of vision, with reaching people for Jesus, to have a, a shepherd's heart like Pastor Jamie, myself, and he has. And so we began to pray about the possibility of maybe coming together uh, and see if maybe we're better together than we are apart. And then he also shared with me that he felt like the Lord has released him. That he felt like it's his time, you know, regardless of what happens with our, our collaboration, that it's his time to go. That there are other things. He's healthy. He's happy. His marriage is good. And a lot of times when there's a collaboration you have one of the churches that may have financial struggles or pastoral issues. And in this case, you have two healthy churches, both financially and with their leadership. And he just said, I don't want to get in the way of what the Lord has. And what a testimony to his heart and to being a man of God to realize, like we've preached over and over again, it's not CFC or SCC or Brian or Jamie or Ken. That's always been what you've heard us say. And so he said, you know, look, brother, I don't have a plan B. My heart, and for a couple years, I felt like, you know, that you were the guy. And, you know, I had told my leadership team that I had been thinking of, of moving on, but the time wasn't right. And, and now I feel like the time may be right. And so why don't we pray and explore about the possibility of what that might look like? And now, like many of you, I, I you know, this was not what I thought. And I began to pray, and, and my, you know, I prayed to the Lord, and I said, you know, Lord, this isn't, this isn't what, I, what it looked like. And I felt like he said to me, but you kept praying, Lord, let us not define what it looks like. And I said, well, okay, Lord, but I'm not really a, a, a big church guy. And he said, so now you define what your ministry looks like? And then I said, but Lord, I have all these questions. I mean, what about this and what about that? And, and, and he said, I'm not asking you to plan a year or five years. I'm asking you to take one step of faith. And so I began to pray more diligently. And I began to ask the Lord. I began to, to ask for clarity. And I began to ask the question is, is this going to make our ministry more effective? Do we have the potential as these churches come together to reach more people for Jesus? And if the answer to that was yes, I was willing to, to kind of go along that journey to, to, to consider what it might look like. And so I talked with my wife, and then I talked with Pastor Jamie, and he talked with his wife, and we made sure that we were aligned, that, again, just to take the next steps, just to consider. And then we shared with our leadership team. And then we shared with, with some of our denominational leaders and his leaders and my leaders, and we began to kind of talk about what it might look like. And I had some conversations with some of you to get a sense. See, there's one true church, and it's not ours. It belongs to Jesus. He's the leader. He builds this church. And there are no denominations in heaven. And so you've heard me preach again and again that our effectiveness is tied to our surrender. And so my prayer and Ken's prayer and Jamie's prayer and the leadership's prayer is, if this is of the Lord, we want to walk in it. But if it's not, we don't. And we don't want to get ahead of him. 
and we don't want to, we don't want to try to force something that's not a good fit. Their team have said that same thing. And so we're going to be open to God's leading. And we're going to, we're going to just meet together for, for a couple months, two, three months, and we're going to reevaluate. And through this process, there'll be times for gathering, you know, with COVID, it's limited, but somehow to get together. There'll be times for the leadership to get together. The ministry teams to see, you know, to create these creative vision teams is what we're calling them to say, hey, the people who do youth ministry, the leaders and the, and the key folks, why don't, we, why don't we meet together? And why don't we forget about the old ways? Why don't we stop looking back to the past? Let's find a new way. Let's share together. What's the best way? What works? What doesn't? And let's see what the Lord will do. Better together than we are apart. Because once we're saved, it's really about the people who don't know Jesus. You see, this is all of our chance. And the question I ask is, what if Jesus has more for each of us? You know, one of the things Pastor Ken said is he didn't want to be in the way of what God wanted to do. I don't either. Like Paul, I want to be all things to all people that we might win some. And so Ken's heart and the heart of some of his key leaders who've said, and I can't imagine when he began to share, hey, I feel like the Lord is releasing me. I can't imagine if, if I were to tell you guys that. The emotion. This is a family. He's a beloved man of God. And they said, you know, Pastor Brian, whatever you need, whatever you need, I'm here, I'm committed, and I'm going to follow. And I thought, what a testimony to not only their Christian maturity, but to Ken's ministry. And so you're going to be hearing more, but we're simply taking a step of faith toward what God has for us. We're not going to force anything. And I know it seems sudden, and really that's more COVID than anything. We're just, we're trying to meet, we're trying to gather together with those who feel safe and it's appropriate because people are hurting. People are struggling and we need to gather together. So if anything else, we're going to come together and we're going to explore. And so I want to pray and we're going to worship together this morning and we're going to share from the book of, of Nehemiah. But right now I just ask, Lord, that you guide us all in spirit and in truth, that there be unity even now, God. I pray for Pastor Ken, for his message this morning, for all the folks at Christian Fellowship Center, for all the folks who will hear this message, God, that you confirm, that you soften hearts, that you lead and guide, and that we are able to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Good morning, church. Y'all don't mind standing. Stand at home, too. Put all the distractions aside. This week I've been um, praying over all this like I know you all have, too. And God has been so faithful in his word where he's pulling out things about what the true church of his looks like. 
what we are in this world. I just came across this message from uh, the message translation in Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. And I just love to read it for you guys. It says, I ask, ask the Lord God, the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Amen. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. But the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Amen. I was so moved by that. So as we come together to worship, God, we just ask that you inhabit our praise. Wherever we are, God, you are there. God, as long as we are worshiping you, we are in your temple. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirty praise Praise the Father Praise the Son Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. Praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath. 
till that stone was moved for good and the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint by the horn by his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me praise the father in this place. Thank you, Jesus. As we worship him and as we're praying, just ask that we're praying about our surrender, that we're surrendering to his will, that we're trusting him, that we are such a small piece of this puzzle, and he knows the whole thing, and he's working it for our good and for his glory with all the information, and we don't have that. Oh, 
Bethlehem Church.
Lift your voice and praise your King. God, we love you, Jesus. We can trust you. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Pray this with your heart. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, Lord, I give myself to you. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. myself to you and I give myself away hallelujah I give myself away so you can use me Lord give myself away I give myself away so you away I give myself away so you can use me Heavenly Father we come before you this morning and Lord these songs we sing let that let them be the cry the prayer of our heart God that we would give ourselves to you, God, the only reasonable sacrifice to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And so, Father, we pray now that this message, that your word go forward in the power of your spirit and change lives, change eternities, God. We stand before you surrendered Search our hearts, Lord. Take the things from us that you want to take so you can do the new things in us that you want to do. We love you. We want to serve you. We want to bring you glory and honor with our lives. We want to reach people for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. So this morning, I want to share with you a message from the book of Nehemiah. And the word, the name Nehemiah, it means comforted by Jehovah. Comforted by God. Nehemiah was among the Jews of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persians, Nehemiah found himself as the cupbearer in the palace of King Artaxerxes. And so this position made him essentially the civil governor of Jerusalem with Ezra, the priest, at the time of the return. You see, Israel were God's chosen people, but they continued to disobey God. 
In fact, another sermon for another day, but hear this. Deuteronomy 1 begins and it says this, These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. And there's a notation in parentheses. And it says it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. And it may not seem like an important point. It's sort of easy to skip over that detail until you realize that nothing's incidental. And here's the point. It took Israel 40 years to complete an 11-day journey. 40 years. We preached last week about our shortcuts, about how God has a plan and a purpose, and we think that we know a better way to get there. Sometimes we can align with his plan and purpose, but we just say, well, you know, I, I think I can, I can go this way. 40 years to complete an 11-day journey. Because of their stubbornness and their disobedience, because they forgot the promises of God, he delays their entry into the promised land. And aside from Caleb and, jo- Caleb and Joshua, anyone over a certain age, that generation would not see the promised land because they lacked faith in the provision of God. You see, God chose the nation of Israel to be his special people, and he wanted them to love him and to worship him and to obey him. And so in the capital city, Jerusalem, they built a great temple, and they worshiped God, and they made sacrifices to him in the temple. And they became a powerful nation, but they did not obey God. And instead, they worshiped the gods of the other nations. Instead, they bowed down to culture. And they continued to sin against God. And so he sent prophets, he sent men to warn them, but they did not listen. God would work, they would forget, they would wander. God would work, they would forget, they would wander. And so they were overtaken by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians. And so the book of of Nehemiah chronicles this, but it's really, it reads like a prayer journal. It's about a spiritual journey. And the main point of Nehemiah is that even in the face of opposition to the gospel, we should put our faith and trust in God because he is unwaveringly committed, unwaveringly committed to his glory and to his people. You know, if you know the psychological makeup of of men, by and large, we want to fix things. We want to be task-oriented, right? We got lists and spreadsheets, and we want to get stuff done. There's nothing worse than when you start your day with five things on your to-do list, and you end it with six things on your to-do list, right? Let's do something. But it's interesting, because in the Bible, the first instruction, it seems like it's to be silent and to do nothing at all. The title of this message is Pray, Wait, and Build. Pray, Wait, and Build. And so I want to skip around. I would encourage you to read through the book of Nehemiah. But I want to draw out some principles. Nehemiah 1.4. When I heard these things, the condition of Jerusalem... I sat down and wept. The burden for ministry, the impetus to do something, 
came out of a, of a mourning, of a, of a broken heart for the people. So he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, church, we need to learn to wait upon the Lord. His timing, not ours. His will, not ours. It's hard to wait. Be still. Psalm 46.10, right? Be still. You've heard me say, preach a whole bunch of times. In the NASB, it says, cease striving. And you read that, and it seems like stop trying. It seems counterintuitive. How can I be productive if I cease striving? Be still and know that I am God. For some days, not for 10 minutes, not for an hour, but for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Step one. You know what the problem is most of the time? I don't know about you, but in my life, is I, I see the task. I see what I think needs to get done. And it's easy to say, well, that's a good thing. That's a godly thing. That's a spiritual thing. I've had people come into my office and speak to me and say, you know, this is what God wants me to do. And they got the whole plan. And, and I say, okay, you know. And I said, but does he want you to do it now? He might want you to do it, but does he want you to do it now? Is the timing right? Have you really heard from him? See, church, we wait upon the Lord. Psalm 33:20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Jesus said it this way. Suppose that one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. That's a spiritual principle that Jesus is talking about. Now, this doesn't mean we don't move forward with things in our spiritual journey. It is about going forward. It is about making progress. But it's about doing so in a prayerful way way you see what nehemiah teaches us is to keep preaching the main thing and at first glance it's easy for us to look and it seems like this is just about rebuilding the temple about rebuilding the wall about about the focus on the building on the brick and the mortar but that wasn't the only work being done you see by god's spirit a more significant rebuilding was taking place In the hearts of God's people at the preaching of God's word. There was a survey collected over 20,000 Christians in 139 countries. People between the ages of 15 and 88 years old. And a survey found that well over 60% of Christians said that it's often or always true that the busyness of life gets in the way of developing my relationship with God. So here's the truth, especially in trying times. Reading the Bible, 
knowing God's word becomes more important than ever. And if you've been reading the Bible for years, you will notice it's God's power that gives you wisdom and gives you encouragement and helps you to proceed slowly, but yes, to proceed. To move forward and to make progress according to his will and his time. And so in Nehemiah 8, when Ezra stands on the wooden platform to read the word of God, he's preaching to God's people because in exile, when the the structure was lost, they wandered far from God. But at the hearing of his word, they began to weep because they were convicted by God's holy law. You see, Ezra did the only thing that would work. The only power up here is this power right here, the power of God's word and his spirit. And so Ezra read the word of God and he explained it to the people. And we see in the scripture that they were moved to obedience. You see, the key to reform to any church is a reverence for the word of God. And you will only see, you will only see lasting fruit when the word of God remains a priority in the life of the church. You see, in the beginning of Nehemiah, when he hears about what had happened, when he asks and gets a report concerning the Jews, verse 3 says, They said to me, the remnant remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. That was the message he got. And his response right away was to, was to be brokenhearted, was to weep and mourn and fast and pray. And then verse 5 says, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his command. See, Nehemiah was motivated by a love for his people, by a love for his home. And so he wept and fasted for days. Nehemiah had a heart for the lost. Do we? Do we have a heart for the lost? Or do we simply criticize And act surprised that people who don't know God act like people who don't know God. Do we just avoid difficult people? Do we see people struggling? We move on because we're too busy. It's too much. It's going to cost us. Or because we're afraid of what they might say if we talk to them about Jesus. See in verse 6, listen to the prayer. Remember I told you, Nehemiah, this is a prayer journal. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night. This wasn't a quick popcorn prayer. Again, this wasn't an hour. This wasn't a couple hours. This was mourning and fasting and praying and weeping before God day and night on behalf of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. Nehemiah is going, I'm guilty. I'm repentant. 
I'm sorry. We've acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commandments or the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant, Moses. I mean, this is like a textbook on how you ought to behave, how you ought to proceed. You have a burden for the lost, and it causes you to mourn and fast and pray and to confess your sin and be repentant before God. And then what? Ask for an opportunity because that's what he's praying for. He's praying to the Lord for an opportunity. Now, at the end of, of chapter 1, as a little note, just sort of one sentence at the bottom, it says this, I was cupbearer to the king. Sort of incidental. He's given his job description, but nothing in the Bible is incidental. And so he, say, he says all these things, and then he says, I was the cupbearer to the king. And when you read that, you could read that and say, that was a good excuse Nehemiah had, wasn't it? I mean, that's a good reason that maybe he's not the guy to rebuild Jerusalem. He had other things to do. He had an important role. God had placed him in an important place. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't even a builder. He was a cupbearer. He could have said, God, this is, this is above my pay grade. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to do this. Somebody else would be better suited for this work. There's two kinds of people. Those who know how to make excuses and those who know how to make a way. See, like anyone called by God to a significant task, we can have feelings of inadequacy. And we can. And we can stop there and we can find all kind of reasons that somebody else may be better suited. But that insecurity should not stop us from moving, knowing that when we are weak, he is strong. And so the principle is you start where you are. You can wait until some distant day in the future to get the job done. You can make excuses as to why is not the right time. And I promise you, that if you do that, that distant day will never come. And I, and I say this, and I don't say this, I just say this to point it out to you. I don't say this with any conviction or discouragement. I, I just think this is how life works. I've heard young people who are single and busy with school say, you know, I, I want to get more involved, but right now, you know, I'm in school, I'm working, things are so hectic, but, you know, someday I'm going to get plugged in. And then I've heard people who have new relationships, new marriages, and they say, well, you know, I mean, it's a new marriage, you know, things are kind of hectic, but, you know, someday I'm going to plug in. And then they have kids, and they say, you know, with the kids right now, things are so hectic, but someday I'm going to plug in. And then they get 40 or 50, and work gets harder, and they have more responsibility at, at work, and they're building their career, and they say, someday I'm going to plug in. And then, you know, they work hard and they're tired and they want to enjoy life. They want to retire and take things easy. And then they say, well, you know, someday I'm going to plug in. And someday never comes. See, if we desire opportunity, it will come. But it'll never look like we think it's going to look. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Art Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been so sad 
in his presence before. This was such a burden that he couldn't put on a happy face. He couldn't be, you know, the, all right, you know, well, I got to, you know, kind of compartmentalize this and I got to put on my, my best face and do my job, then I'll go back to mourning. No, this was such a heavy burden. This, was, this weighed so heavy on him that he couldn't help but wear it on his face. And so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but a sadness of heart. I love this next part. He says, I was very much afraid, but. Not, I was very much afraid, so I didn't say anything to him. I was very much afraid, afraid so I waited for another opportunity. I was very much afraid, afraid so I, I backed away from, no. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live, live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? How can I, how can I not be sad when my people are hurting, when they're scattered, when they're lost, when they're struggling? And verse 4 says, then the king said to me, what is it you want? And then again, again, this is a prayer journal. This is, this is important. The king said to me, what is you want? At that point, I would have been like, perfect. This is exactly what, I, what I've been waiting for. This is good. Now the king's asking me. Now I'm going to tell the king right away what I want. But the scripture says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Not I answered the king, and then I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed before I said anything else. I prayed to make sure that it was his will and not my own. And then I answered the king. Boy, if we learn to pray first and talk second. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. His prayers were answered. God gave him opportunity. But it was not without obstacles. In fact, really the, the picture of Nehemiah is somebody building, you know, they got one hand, they got a tool in one hand building the wall and they got a weapon in another fighting off. That's, that's literally sort of the picture of Nehemiah. If we're, we're in a kind of a meme society, that would be the meme, right? You got a guy who's trying to build and he's got a sword because people are trying to attack him. We want opportunity, we just don't want opposition, we just don't want obstacles. You think the enemy's not going to come against the, the moves of God? You think he's not going to try to scatter and disrupt, and, and you think that's what's going to be the case? You better believe that when you're walking in the will of God, opposition will come. You've got to be prayed up, you've got to identify it, it's spiritual. There's opposition from all over the place. Opportunity but not without obstacles. In fact, if you read about it in chapters 4 and 6, read through it. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. Hey, we're going to do the work, and you guys need to protect us because everybody else wants to kill us. You read it's a list of like, these people are opposed, and then these people are opposed, and then these people are opposed. It's overwhelming. What did Nehemiah do? You know what, guys? Forget it. Everyone's opposed. This, this could cost us our lives. We better abandon this. 
we better give up because this is difficult. No. No, he talked to the king, and he gathered the people. And in chapter 2, verse 18, the text says he motivated the people by a testimony of what God had done. Because when we, when we remember, when we hear what God has done and what he's doing, we should want to be a part of that. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Hey, this is what God's done. This is what God's doing. This is what God wants to do. Do you want to be a part of it? And they said, let us start rebuilding. How many of you know that burdens are lighter when everyone works together? I mean, it's clearly seen in the church environment. Everybody does their part. See, one of the amazing things about the book of Nehemiah is the fact that it took the people 52 days to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It says that in Nehemiah 6.15. This was an amazing feat by any stretch of the imagination. These were not simple walls. In ancient times, cities had walls, and they were thick, and the top of them were flat. And people would, would be on the top, and they would look at, in the city and look for criminals within the walls and also look for intruders outside the walls. Because the opposition, the, the, the struggle, the, the things that could cause problems were everywhere. Here's something to seriously consider. Study after study after study shows, whether it's a really big church or a really small church, that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Again and again and again, across the board, throughout the country, all kinds of churches, can you imagine what would happen if 100% of the people were committed to the cause of Christ and the glory of God? Think of the evangelistic outreach, of the discipleship opportunities, of all the gospel work that could be done if the church as a whole would come together to accomplish the mission not suggested but commanded by Jesus to meet, to be and make disciples. And so in light of this reality, here's three questions we can ask ourselves. Am I a burden to the work God is trying to do around me? Or am I making the burden lighter? If they did a study at my church, would I be counted among the 10% or among the 90%? And which group would I like to be remembered as being a part of? See, work goes a lot faster when everyone works together. Relationships are built to this day, and some of you remember. I have a, a wonderful memory of Tab's house in Marion. Tab, who's, who's a part of this church, she lived in Marion, and a group of us get together. I don't know how to paint. You know, like, you want to paint the house? Uh, can I pay somebody else to paint the house? I don't know how to paint. You don't want me to paint anything. Well, we'll just, I think they probably gave me, like, you just do that one little line just out of everybody's way. I think I ordered the pizza. But to this day, I remember us just gathering together and helping Tab and her family and painting and, and having pizza and just fellowship and just, and it, it, it was easy. It was fun. It wasn't even the painting. It was just the, you know, we, we, we made it happen. That was 20 years ago, right, Susan? You were, I mean, it was a long time ago. But to this day, I remember, what a, I mean, what a family. 
vividly shown in Nehemiah 3. It remains true when speaking of things done in ministry. And it's not about how quickly the chairs can get put away after the service. I'm talking about the eternally significant, the vitally important work that the church is here to do. To faithfully live as salt and light. And to build his kingdom, not our own. And I don't say this to discourage anyone, but rather to encourage us all that we can work together. And that we should be working together. For the glory of God. Another principle is that each person's work is important. You know, there are different types of walls and gates. There was a dung gate. Now, I don't know about you, but I want, I want to be like on the garden gate or, you know, some of these, the dung gate. I'd be like, I don't know if I want to be on the dung gate. And see, if you read Nehemiah, you probably think, well, Jerusalem has a lot of gates. And it's true. I don't even know how many gates. There's lots of them. And some were less prestigious than others. But here's the thing, right? If you look at that from a strategic, from a construction standpoint, no gate is less important than the others because if one gate's not completed, it's a vulnerability. And so what do you do? You can say, I don't want to work on the dung gate. I want to work on the fountain gate. Well, why does that guy get to work on that gate? And this guy, you know, what we do, whine about everything. The fact is, every one of the gates and the walls were rebuilt. And if, if one wasn't, Jerusalem would not have been safe, and the same is true for the work of the church. Sometimes you might feel like, well, what I do is not really as important. But every part of the body of Christ is important. Every one of us has a gift. And your gift, Christians, your gift is never for you. Your gift is never for you. It's for his glory and the edification of the body of Christ. I've seen some of the most gifted people. In fact, we, we do this at Teen Challenge all the time. We've had some, I mean, when I say amazing, people who've recorded and, and they, I mean, just amazing talent. And they've come in and they've wanted to play worship music or whatever. And we've kept them off. This absolutely not. Why? Because if your abilities are not submitted to God, they are liabilities. There are things you can do without him for your glory. I don't care. I've said this before. I don't care. I don't want to be the best Brian I can be. I want to be like Jesus. Don't follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 30. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If you say, well, I can't preach or, or play music or I can't do this, that doesn't make you any less a part of this body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. As he chose. I'm going to say that again. But as it is, 
God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? If everybody had the same giftings, how would that be helpful? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And in verse 26, Paul writes, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let me encourage and cheer on everyone that when the work of God is being done, take part. Parents, build up your children and praise them for serving the Lord. Encourage and recognize those who are working diligently for the Lord. We want to encourage people so that the work would, would continue and that people wouldn't lose heart. Because how many, how many people know that discouragement can be very real for those of us who follow Jesus? Some of you might be very discouraged right now. And you know what the world will tell us repeatedly and relentlessly? What are you doing, you church people? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. I remember they interviewed Bill Gates and asked him, you know, on Sundays if he goes to church, and he said, you know, I have better things to do. Do you, Bill, really have better things to do? Do you weep for your city? Do you fast and pray? Do you ask the Lord for opportunities for there to be restoration? Do you believe that God can rebuild any walls? That he can restore and renew families? That he can revive cities? That he can and will bring to life those who are dead in sin? No matter what the obstacles what will you do? What can we do together? You're going to say, this is a good word, Pastor Brian. Or will you begin to rebuild what needs rebuilding in your life? In this church? In our community? See, the last thing Nehemiah writes in his prayer journal he says, remember we, me with favor, my God. After he lists his journey and what he goes through, and if you know, you know, they, they wandered again, even after all that. How many times in my life has God showed up in such a way that it was undeniable, and time goes on, and we forget the promises. And like the, like the Israelites, we want to go back to what's comfortable. We want to go back to what's good. Instead of taking a step forward toward the promise that God has for us. Remember me with favor, my God. And we know we will. We all want to someday hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Everything we do, if we are Christians, we do for him. No work is secular for the believer. If we do it, unto him.
God's not going to say, great job building your own kingdom. Hey, really impressed with that treasure you built for yourself and your kids. See, we're not all promised the same things in life. But here's one thing we are promised. Our life will soon end and we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there before our maker, we will give an account to how we used our days, our dollars, our relationships, our skills, our opportunities. How we used each and every situation God put us in. Charles Thomas Studd, known as C.T., was a, a British missionary to China. And he wrote a poem. And I want to close with it. The worship team can come up. And I want you to just, I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to listen to this. It's called Only One Life. And he says this, two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way. Bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burden, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only one, what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's, what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world now let me turn living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne only one life yes only one now let me say thy will be done 
And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know, New Bedford used to be known as the city of light from all the whale oil. You've heard Pastor Jamie and I share about that before. And I pray that it be known as the city of light again. The light of the world. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray, and we can stand, and the worship team's going to close us out. Father, you've given us this gift of life the breath in our lungs, this day, an opportunity to bring you glory with our lives. And so God, as we've said again and again, as Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, sometimes we ask you, Lord, take this cup from me, Lord. Make it, make it look different. But we continue with the heart of Jesus when he prays, not my will, but yours be done. And so, Father, let that continuously be the cry of our hearts. We don't want to walk ahead of you. We want to follow faithfully behind you. Because we know in the end, and there's always an end, that only what we do for you will last. And everything else will fade away, will be forgotten. And we want, to know, we want to be known as people whose hearts were broken, who, who see people we've asked and we've prayed for godly wisdom, for, but for a heart like Jesus, that we would see people the way you see them. And that would break our hearts. And from that place, that we would mourn and we would fast and we would pray, that we would seek your will. And then we would walk in it. Despite the uncertainty, despite the obstacles, we won't make excuses, but we'll make a way. Where we are weak, you are strong. This is your church. Have your way. In Jesus' precious and powerful name we pray.
louder so I can hear you. Wanna hear you? I don't wanna move without you. Praise you, God. Even though I believe you've taken up a home inside me and you'll never leave. Oh, I still need to know you're here with me. just God we can trust you you are the good shepherd God let us not get ahead of ourselves and definitely don't let us get ahead of you God all the things that are in our futures God you've been there you know them you've provided for them you've made a way God help us to just focus on what is on our plate today your word your spirit God, let us serve you, serve one another, and everything else. Let you take care of God. Let us keep first things first, the essential, essential, God. Keep our focus lasered on you, God. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll trust you. 